Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He lacked nothing. This rich young ruler who comes to Jesus seems to be a perfect recruit for the kingdom of God, right? Here is a man who is presumably healthy. He's certainly wealthy. And if he's not wise, at least he's powerful. We'll take that trade off. You can only imagine any pastor who sees the rich young ruler coming to him says, Sir, let me show you this way. Have I told you about our new member classes? Yes. He's a great recruit for the kingdom of God. This is the ideal person that Jesus ought to be seeking out. And here this man is seeking Jesus out. And notice this. He's not one to rest on his laurels either. He comes to Jesus and he says to him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How do I need to, to bolster my spiritual resume so that I can be sure that I'm going to enjoy the gifts and the blessings of the kingdom of heaven? you got to give this guy credit. By all accounts, he lacks nothing. So Jesus says to him, well, you know the commandments? You know, honor your father and mother, don't defraud, don't steal, don't murder, just the things we talked about with the kids this morning. He says, yes, yes, I, I know all of those things. I've, I've kept them from my youth. Now pause there because we hear that and I think there's different ways to hear it. On the one hand, you might hear that and think, wow, is this guy ever full of himself, right? How proud could he be? Yes, I've kept all of the commandments from my youth. But notice the response of Jesus, which suggests to me at least that he's genuine. This is an earnest young guy who's coming to the Lord, truly seeking spiritual wisdom because Jesus doesn't rebuke him, doesn't send him away and call him out for being so prideful, so full of himself, but instead Jesus, looking at him, loved him, Mark says. He looked at him with compassion, seeing him as he is, like a, like a sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus says to him, you lack one thing. One thing. Now, what I'd like to do this morning is to step into a controversy that has raged among biblical scholars for probably 2,000 years, which is to answer this question, what's the one thing that this man lacks? Maybe the answer is obvious to you, in which case, just keep it to yourself, okay? Uh, and of course, you might also want to say, well, he needs Jesus. Y'all need Jesus, all right? True, okay, spoiler alert. But I want to drill down a little bit more, too, and see in what particular respect does he need Jesus? How is it? What is the thing that he is lacking there? And as we answer that question, looking at different answers that can and have been given to the question, I think you and I will all recognize ourselves in that rich young ruler, the temptation that exists for you and me today, no less than it did for him 2,000 years ago. What is the one thing? Well, one answer that is given comes from a biblical commentator who puts it this way. She wrote, lack takes on many forms in our life. This story asks us to ponder how we might fill in the blank in this particular situation. There's one thing you lack, and you need to figure that out. This is what you might call the fill-in-the-blank answer to what is the one thing. And I'm just going to tell you straight away, I think that this is ridiculous. Okay? I don't think that this is the answer. But there's something to this that's worth pondering for a moment. 
And you might think of it like this. See, we all have, if you will, lowercase l, lacks. There's all lacks that all of us might have in our lives. For some of you, you lack patience. For others of you, you lack empathy. For still others, you lack generosity. And on our worst days, maybe we lack all of those things and more, right? We all have little l lacks in our lives. And I think this text, like all throughout the scriptures, calls us to repentance, to recognize those places in our lives where we are falling short of the goal, where we have all ignored and and betrayed the commands of our Lord Jesus and instead have followed after our own self-sought ways. This is a call for each and every one of us to repent of those little l lacks that we have in all of our lives. That's true. We need to hear that word, and inasmuch as we are able, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to address those lacks. But Jesus here is not just talking about whatever self-sought lacks we might have, the things that we think are the problem. Instead, he's offering a big, uppercase L lack, if you will. He's saying, no, there is one thing that you lack here. And we need to pay attention to this because I think there's a, a temptation if you, we say, the, kind of take the fill-in-the-blank approach, that this is some real revisionist sort of thing. This is where we turn Jesus just into a, a modern kind of New Age guru where the Lord's like, tell me what it is that you think you lack and we will work on that together. That's not what he's doing here. This is not the way that Jesus operates. Instead, he comes as Lord of all creation. He is the king of the kingdom. And he doesn't say, tell me, what do you think you lack? No, there is one thing that you lack. You need to hear what it is because he comes with all the authority and the power of the king of all creation. So when it comes to this question, what's the one thing? No, I don't think this is just a a fill-in-the-blank question and you can put in there whatever you want. So then what? What's the one thing, if it's not just for us to answer? Well, the second answer is what has probably been the most prevailing answer through history. Certainly it was in the Middle Ages, which is when Jesus says, you lack one thing, he answers his own question. It's to sell all you have. Give it to the poor. This is what it means to truly be a disciple. If you were a real follower of Jesus, you'd be holding a fire sale right after worship. Maybe you'd even leave in the middle of the sermon and recognize that if I am really going to be with Jesus, I lack this one thing. I need to sell all that I have and give it to the poor. Now, hearing that, I think we immediately want to squirm out from that, right? And say, well, surely Jesus doesn't mean that because that would be bad for the economy. I mean, that would just be bananas. We can't do that. I think that there's a, a temptation there for us to try and squirm out from, here, from hearing what he has to say. But let's stay with this word for a minute because I think it's an important one for all of us to hear. Do you realize that 15%, a full 15% of all of Jesus' teachings revolved around this teaching of possessions, money, wealth. It's something that our Lord addressed constantly in his ministry. And why is that? Well, Martin Luther gives an answer to this. He says in the large catechism that every single human being on earth, whether or not they're religious, Luther says every single human being has a God, a lowercase g God. I'm working a lot with my capital letters and lowercase letters here. 
a lowercase g God. Everybody has a God, which is to say, Luther says, something that you cling to, that you lean on in a time of trial, that you run to. It's your refuge. It's your source of, of security and identity and meaning. Luther says, while there might be atheists and believers, when it comes down to it in the nitty-gritty of life, there are no atheists. Everybody is some kind of believer. Everyone has a God. You with me? And Luther says, the most common God on earth, in that lowercase g sense, the most common idol, is what the scriptures call mammon, that personification of riches and wealth. It's the thing that people, more than anything else, turn to and run to and seek their source of security and meaning. Luther wrote that in the 1500s. Fortunately, things have improved over the last 500 years, right? No, of course not. If anything, in our day and age, it's even more an idol for us to look to, to think that is going to be the source of my security. That's going to be the basis of my meaning in my life. That if only I had those riches and that wealth, then I would be good. Then I would be secure. And so when Jesus says this word, we need to hear it. We need to receive it in the radical call of discipleship. But for all that said, I do not think this is the one thing that the Lord is referring to. The one thing that that rich young ruler and that we need, that we lack. And I'll tell you why, a couple of reasons from Scripture, first of all. How was it that Jesus and the disciples were able to continue their ministry? What was it that was sub, uh, sub subsidizing them as they were going out and teaching and preaching and healing and all the rest? Well, it was other disciples of means who were providing them. We, we know this from the Scriptures themselves. And think about this. After Jesus dies, he's taken down from the cross. You remember who it was that took him down from the cross and provided the tomb for him? It's a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And the scripture says in the same sentence, Joseph was a rich man who was a disciple. That right there tells us that these don't have to be mutually exclusive categories. It's not like either you are rich or you are disciple. Either you are some kind of carnal Christian who still has means, or you are some kind of real sold-out believer who recognizes the true call to discipleship and sells all that you have. There isn't this kind of mutually exclusive reality. Instead, it's a both and. To live in that tension and in that reality that if you are blessed with great wealth, if you are blessed with means, with riches, then you are also called to steward those faithfully for the sake of the kingdom of God. To use it to bless your neighbor, to provide for the church, to give back to God, recognizing that all things ultimately come from Him. But this is not the one thing that He lacked and that we lacked. If that were the case, we'd be setting up a two-tiered discipleship system right off the bat. And this is one of the things that, at the time of the Reformation, they really were criticizing and critical of. You had the kind of mendicant monks, the guys who were going out and just kind of begging and saying, we are the true disciples because we have sold all that we have, and now we're just out here begging. But grace levels the playing field. God doesn't give us this kind of two-tier system for who belongs to him and who doesn't, who's really in and who's really not. But instead, all have sinned and all come with lack before the Lord. And this brings us to one more answer. What I think is really at issue here when we ask this question, what is the one thing? It's not just to fill in the blank. And it's not to sell all you have. 
and give it to the poor. What is this one thing? Well, I think we can find the answer by looking at the context of this story. So you remember last week we heard Jesus' teaching on divorce. Here we have Jesus' teaching on possessions, this encounter with the rich young ruler. But between those two things, there was actually another moment, another story embedded between them. And it happened, you remember this, when parents were coming to Jesus bringing all of their kids. They're bringing the little ones up to the Lord and the disciples are like, whoa, 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 not so fast. And Jesus says, ah, guys, let the little children come to me. Hmm? Let them come to me, Jesus says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And unless you turn and become like children, you shall by no means enter that kingdom of God. Now, question for you there. What is the one thing that kids have in spades and that this rich young ruler lacks? What's the one thing he lacks that all of those kids that Jesus says the kingdom belongs to, that all of them have up and down? The one thing he lacks is lack. The one thing he needs is need. See, Jesus came to give of himself fully to you and to me. And what is faith? Faith is the open hands that receive the good gifts of God. But if those hands are full, if we come before God already well off, already well cared for, recognizing, well, you know what? Jesus would be great. I'd love to add him to my resume of life well lived, but ultimately I'm doing okay. We come to him with full hands, or worse yet, closed, clenched hands, clinging to the things of this world. Faith, the open hands to receive what he has to give, that recognizes that reception into the kingdom of God to receive that inheritance is not a matter of what I shall do, but what he has done for me. And so this young ruler, as he comes before the Lord and Jesus looks on him with love, he ushers to him, he offers to him, not a stern command, but instead a gentle invitation. As he says to him, as he says to you and me, come on, follow me. Leave behind these other things, these things that are are cluttering up your vision of the kingdom and instead come and follow me. The Lord looks on him with love, with compassion, as a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus comes to him as the good shepherd and says to him, come on and follow me. Then you will be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no lack. That's the summons for each and every one of us this morning. And I think it is an imperative and necessary message for us in our contemporary culture, in our time and place, so focused on on self-sufficiency, on individuality, on making sure that we've got it all taken care of, that we can take care of ourselves, we can handle ourselves. And and don't get me wrong, there's obviously a place for for self-sufficiency and getting out of your parents' basement. I'm not arguing with that, all right? But the Lord invites you and me to lean into lack, to recognize our need. And here is the true gift of giving, see? Because giving, it disciplines us into this mentality, this mentality of receptivity. Think of some of the gifts that giving gives to us. First of all, it is a guard against covetousness. By giving away, 
we are able to pry open our hands from clinging to the things of this world. It puts up a, a border and a hedge from our hearts getting too gripped and too possessed with our possessions. It protects us in that respect. It protects us also from the, the kind of uh, uh, conclusion that this rich young ruler came to, which is that he walks away from Jesus feeling heartbroken and grieving and haven't you seen this so many times in our world today that those who have great possessions aren't necessarily any happier? But if that's where you have looked for your happiness, for your kingdom, you're going to walk away sorrowful, just like this young man did. First gift of giving then is that it provides that guard and that hedge. But that's not all. You think of it also this way. Jesus gives us this great gift that when we give to God, then he doesn't just swallow it up and absorb it for himself, but he takes it and he sanctifies and consecrates it. Then he gives it back and uses it for a blessing to neighbors so that when we give to God, then through that divine alchemy, he turns it back to us and he says, now use these gifts in order, in order to serve your neighbors, in order to provide for your pastor and his family. For those of us who have been part of the, the study of Leviticus, we've seen how this has been God's uh, MO. This is his pattern from time eternal, going back to the Old Testament. We give to God, and then he gives it back to us for the sake of blessing others. How beautiful is that? And in our church, we have seen how that has been true. That as you give, as you give out of, out of your uh, abundance, you recognize that everything comes from the Lord, and then he gives it back. And we are able to extend his ministry and his hand of blessing to share his heart with our neighbors. And you're seeing this in so many ways already through you all, through our church. But then one final gift of giving. And it's what author Randy Alcorn, in his lovely little book, The Treasure Principle, he calls living for the line. And Randy Alcorn puts it this way. He says, look, this life that we are in, it's a dot. We are all in that dot. But what we are looking forward to, eternity, is a line that goes on forever. And Randy Elkhorn says that when you and I give, when we give of ourselves, when we give of our possessions, when we give of our money, it's just as the Lord said to the rich young ruler, we are accruing for ourselves treasures in heaven. We are investing in eternity. Insofar as we are clinging to the stuff of this earth, we can only get further and further away from it. And in that sense, become more and more fragile as we cling to these things. But instead, if we give it ahead, we are living for the line rather than for the dot. Listen, a friend of mine once said, you never go broke betting everything on God. You never go broke betting everything on God. As you and I live as little lambs of the Good Shepherd, we have the freedom to give freely, to find the gifts of giving. And we find that as we give freely and trust our Good Shepherd truly, what do you lack? Nothing. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.